Not today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with uh, Mindy McKenzie, author of a new book, which is made the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller list called The uh, Courage Solution. Thanks for joining us today, Mindy. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Good. Before we get started, uh, let me tell our listeners what some of the events are that are coming up uh, in Sandler over the next couple of weeks, and uh, this will probably be interesting to a lot of them. Next week, uh, we're going to have uh, a Sandler Complex Sales Clinic uh, on Tuesday, the 7th. Uh, that's a clinic where we work on lonely time complex deals uh, in consultative selling. Uh, on Wednesday, the 8th, we have the Business Leaders Workshop. Uh, this one has got a title of Elevate Your Sales, Part 2. And on Thursday, we're going to have uh, IDing your prospect's decision-making process. Uh, we have moved the training center. For those of you who haven't been to the new location, we're now out in Erlanger, Kentucky, uh, at uh, 3161 uh, Dixie Highway. And uh, love to have you come out, and we'll show you around. The uh, next Sandler uh, boot camp is scheduled for... June 15th, that's a Wednesday, that runs from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's going to be out here at the Erlanger location. And uh, that's only for people who want to uh, stop prospects from from saying, I want to think it over, take charge of the selling process. Uh, We'll talk about how to use and teach you how to use a sophisticated questioning technique to discover hidden buying motives. And we'll teach you a systematic approach uh, to selling that can be used in any industry. Uh, contact Kay at 513-753-9400, uh, extension 2, and she'll be able to uh, give you any further details or sign you or your people up. Uh, now, Mindy, let me tell everyone a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, Mindy McKenzie has a nickname of the Velvet Hammer. This should make an interesting show, Mindy. Uh, <laughs> because when I uh, took over the Western United States for cable and wireless, I earned a nickname of the New York Hammer. Uh, you, you can't tell from my act. Uh, Mindy uh, was affectionately uh, known dur- as the Velvet Hammer during her uh, days at liquor giant Jim Beam. Uh, she's currently a sought-after speaker, CEO advisor to Fortune 500 companies. Previously, Mindy served as a chief performance officer of Beam Inc., where she was responsible for a team of 150 I was part of the executive team that led consistent outperformance and created tremendous shareholder value, delivering double-digit earnings and growth. It was her ability to lead her executive team colleagues 
in a refreshing, truth-telling manner while maintaining her professionalism and grace that earns her the aforementioned nickname. Ultimately, Mindy led the organizational negotiations for a $16 billion buyout of Beam uh, by the large Japanese holding company, Suntory. Don't know if I said that right. Uh, you did? Mindy's impressive career includes five years at Campbell Soup, during which she uh, lived and worked in the Asia-Pacific region, and nine years at Walmart, where she advanced her career through various senior leadership, HR, and organizational development roles. Mindy's passion is inspiring business professionals to increase their uh, personal fulfillment through dramatically improving their professional impact. Mindy serves as a, a senior advisor at McKenzie, uh, one of the most prestigious management consulting firms in the world. She's frequently a guest lecturer for MBA and executive education programs at the Kellogg School of Management at uh, Northwestern University. That's right there in Chicago, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Mindy has a bachelor's degree from Ambassador University and a master's degree from the University of Louisiana. Uh, Mindy lives with her son in Chicagoland area. Uh, I'm just curious. How come the University of Louisiana? <laughs> because they had one of the, at the time, the best marriage and family therapy graduate programs in the nation, interestingly. And so, yeah, I uh, ended up in for grad school. Okay. That's an interesting choice. Uh, one time we did a little the, bit of The business. marriage and family therapy, because both of them are interesting. <laughs> they're, they're both interesting. Um, I always say, Mike, if companies are like... Um, families, there's plenty of dysfunction to go around. So my therapy degree has been um, in great use over the last couple decades in corporate America. Uh, extremely interesting since uh, the Sandler selling system is a selling system based on uh, psychology, the psychology of uh, Dr. Eric Byrne in transactional analysis. I'm sure you studied that in one of the colleges. Yep. So uh, Mindy, uh, after a long career in the, uh, I'm going to call it the Fortune uh, 500 world, uh, what led you to uh, to write this book on uh, courage? Well, Mike, I think there's a crisis in the corporate world today. And the crisis from my experience is that the thing that companies and individuals need most, they often unfortunately get the least. And that's the truth. Why? Well, in my experience, it's because people are afraid of the negative consequences of actually saying what they really think and what they mean. So I wrote this book to show people how to be a valued truth teller at work and to cure them of that fear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the uh, retribution for telling what one person perceives as the truth, uh, do you cover that in your book? So what I talk about is the power of truth-telling comes down to not what you say, but actually how and when you say it and to whom and being mindful about how you do it. A lot of people, um, there are some people out in the workplace like, well, I just say the truth and say what everybody else is thinking, and they bludgeon people with their perspective. And that's not where the art of your boss or peers or team comes from. Um, the actual art is knowing how and when to say what you really mean and mean what you really say and do it in a way that can be not only heard but acted on by those in power. And that's what you're a valued truth teller at work. Mm -hmm. Could you give us an example? Sure. I think leading your boss is as important or more important than leading your team and the people that work under you. And the fastest way to do that is to get in sync with your boss. And I talk about several different ways to do that in the book. But one of the most important ways so that you can 
challenge, push back, say things that your boss or chairman of the board or whomever is your, um, above you as a, as a leader can hear you is to um, be so in sync with them that they know you're oriented primarily to their agenda and you bring them solutions to what bothers them so that when you actually do speak up and say, hey, I disagree with that, that's not going to work, here's my perspective and why I think we should do something else, that they welcome your perspective and they want to act on it. And there's a great way to do that um, and it's called, I call it a magic question because it actually, uh, it's very deceptively simple, Mike, but it works great, is if you ask your boss at the end of every week, what is your single greatest priority over the coming week? And when you do that on a consistent basis, you can get into the head of your leader and you can start bringing them solutions to things that they care about and build a track record of doing that along with doing your job well. Things will shift in a seismic way in that relationship so that those moments when you do have to say, boss, I can't get on board and here's why, they actually listen to you and are more likely to receive that positively and act on it. Mm. So I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the truth-telling works only if you're working in a trusted relationship. That's right. I mean, if you have a reputation, and a trusted relationship doesn't mean that you're buddies or cronies or um, liked or socializing. It's not about that, actually. It's about the fact that you've been very thoughtful in how you behave and engage with those in power, like when you're leading your boss, um, so that they know who you are, how you're wired, where you're coming from, and they respect that you have actually put thought into it. Another thing I tell a lot of folks, even executives, which I think would not be needed, another way to be super credible and to be a value truth teller is to think more like the CEO. And people always go, well, what do you mean by that, Mindy? Well, I say, well, you got to map the company and really, really, really understand it enterprise-wide because if you want to influence power and you want to be able to speak the unspeakable and uh, be be that truth teller, you've got to understand the context of the business. And what happens a lot is you'll have these leaders that they run sales or they run IT or they run finance or HR, but they do not have enterprise-wide view of the business. They haven't done the homework. They don't see the whole picture. And so they suggest things and push back on ideas um, that from a narrow perspective might make sense, but from an enterprise-wide perspective does not. And so another way for you to earn the right to push back and challenge and be that truth teller is to make sure that you really have understood, map the company, understand the customer, follow the dollar through the, through the P&L in a very concrete way so that you can make um, those suggestions and um, bring those ideas forward uh, that makes sense from a company-wide perspective, not just from your departmental patch. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. Uh, we're going to take a uh, short commercial break here, listen to a couple of Sandler commercials, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. 
Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth, back with uh, Mindy McKenzie, author of uh, The Courage Solution, uh, or subtitled Power of Truth-Telling with Your Boss, Peers, and Team. Uh, Mindy, uh, how did your career in the uh, large companies that you were a part of shape your thinking uh, and, and develop uh, your thinking to, uh, to write? Well, Mike, I would say the biggest thing is that I know that for most of us in the corporate tribe, we don't have time to read big, heavy leadership books as much as we might want to. And so I wrote this book even knowing that it tried to be incredibly practical because everything in this book is based on first-hand experience. I've made every mistake there can possibly And I wanted to share with my readers and with the corporate tribe that I love and know so well that there are some simple but incredibly powerful things that folks do that can change the game for them at work. Because remember, I'm absolutely obsessed with helping people increase their effectiveness at work and their fulfillment while they're doing it. So uh, there's nothing magical in the book. Um, it's all very um, down-to-earth. Some of it's old-fashioned advice. But the, the power is not in actually the knowing. It's in the doing. And so to that end, I divided the book more sections um, to make it easy so it reads like a reference manual. And I joke that this book is like the cosmopolitan of business leadership books. Um, this is not a heavy read. The courage comes in and actually doing um, some of the practices that I advocate for in the book. Uh, can you give us an example of a practice? Sure. So a really simple but powerful uh, practice for pushing back with anyone, uh, it's called the LCS method. And I love this method. I learned this when I was at Walmart many, many, many years ago. It's fantastic because it gives you a, gives you a very simple framework to, to tell someone that you absolutely disagree with what they're saying, but do it in a very agreeable way. So LCS stands for like, concern, and suggest. And this is how it works. A very simple example. Um, my son, my son his, uh, was really into parrots and birds and wanted um um, me to get him another bird or get him a bird for the house. And I thought that was the stupidest idea ever. I had no desire to fulfill that wish. And for months, he would say, let's go to the pet store. And we'd go look at these birds. And he did research. And he showed me pictures. And finally, one day, I woke up and I remembered the LCS method. And I was like, Noah, 
No, I really like your passion for birds. They're beautiful. I understand why you love parrots, and I love that you love these um, animals. My concern, though, is that we have two dogs at home right now that you're inconsistent in caring for. So my suggestion for you is that you show me and demonstrate that you can walk and feed and water and take care and play with our two dogs. And if you can do that consistently, then I'll consider adding a bird to the mix. Now, Mike, that's a really simple example, but the LCS method can be used with your boss, with anybody, your spouse, anybody at work to actually um, tell them that you disagree. But, but like I said, do it in an agreeable way. Mm-hmm. So how long ago did that happen? <laughs> with a bird? That conversation yeah. was, uh, well, I think it was like two years ago now. He's 13 and a half. And um, guess what? We don't have a parrot in our house. Mm-hmm. His interest changed, or, or, or was it he uh, didn't? Take good enough care of the dogs. It would be the latter, not the former. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, what about the uh, current work environment and culture we have, uh, which, which in, in, at work is changing, uh, adding more millennials to the work mix and fewer baby boomers? Uh, how does uh, the culture and the environment in terms of the mix of uh, generations uh, affect how you should demonstrate courage at work. Well, I think actually that, that regardless of the generations at work and the mix and makeup of the workforce at your company, that truth-telling is the commodity in short of supply in the corporate world today. And for me, that's a tragedy because I think the cliche has it right. The truth really is the only thing that can set you free. But everybody's under a ton of pressure. And when you think about millennials, they're growing, they're new to the workforce. Everybody's being asked to do more with less. Uh, and feeling that compression and a pace of change, Mike, as you know, is so rapid. So this agility and ability to adapt is critical. And then you layer on this the fear of people, people's fear about the consequences of saying what they really think. And it ends up that... Not a whole lot of the facts are getting put forward, and messages are getting really overmanaged. Numbers get massaged. You end up with this culture where people aren't really saying what they think. And I think this myth that the hard truths always have to hurt isn't actually true either. It's really in all how you approach it. So my my view is that it's a one person at a time job, and each person choosing that they can behave differently and have a thriving. They do not have to self-immolate on the job, whether you're a millennial or a baby boomer or anyone in between. Um, it is possible to navigate your career in a uh, more impactful way, um, and to me, that's all about truth-telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an old article in uh, one of a, one of the sales magazines about the 10 different types of lies that, uh, that people tell. So when we go opposite of that and we, and you talk about, uh, the truth, uh, you mean that, that people should in the business environment, uh, be absolute black and white, uh, truth to fiction. What I mean when I say truth telling is that you, based on your experience and your perspective, you share what you really think about an issue or a problem you're trying to solve. Because the only thing you can reliably change or control at any company yourself and where people get caught up 
they'll say things. I hear it all the time. They'll say, oh, I'd be happier if my boss was different, or I'd be happier if my, my colleagues weren't so competitive, or if my direct reports were more competent. And while all that may be true, it doesn't change that you can't control, reliably control or to anybody else. You can change you. And part of that is operating far more um, bold, courageous manner. Uh, and the best example is the conversation people will have before a meeting and after a meeting. If you talk to people outside of meeting, they'll tell you what they really think. And then you get in the meeting and you got the big bus in there and everything else, all of a sudden everything's different and people aren't really saying what they think. It's those moments. So this is not about being black and white and my version of the world is, quote, the truth and the other person's version is not. This is about saying what you mean, meaning what you say, and doing it in the moments that count. And that does take courage. Um, and it takes a bit of caring, too. You have to care enough to do it. Otherwise, you just keep blaming everybody else for your misery on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people believe that uh, they can do their boss's job better than the boss can, and therefore the boss is a jerk. Uh, what would you say to that person, man? <laughs> I'd say um, that's a really um, prevalent perspective and the majority of you think that and I think a lot of people have a real rude awakening when they step up and get into the big seat whatever that is and they realize that oh this is a lot more complicated a lot more difficult than I gave it credit for I always tell my audience and keynotes and stuff when we get on this topic that the boss Good, bad, or they have way more priorities, way more pressures, more people to manage, more deliverables. They have a multiplicity effect of what you actually have. And so you need to keep that in mind as you're engaging with them and, frankly, have a bit of empathy because it's very easy to get into this judgmental mindset and say, yeah, I'm smarter, I could do the job better and all of that. And then, like I said, you get in the seat and you're like, ah, not quite as simple as I first thought it was. A lot of bullshit there becomes difficult. Uh, Mindy, uh, if one of our listeners wanted to get a copy of your book, uh, what's the best way for uh, for them to do that? Well, they can get my book for anywhere where books are sold, independent bookstores, um, online. Um, yeah, you can go anywhere and you can get it in e-book um, format or you can get it in hardcover. Mm-hmm. Are you bringing out a... Uh, Audiobook? Mm-hmm. I have that project um, on the back burner. I was told, and Mike, you might have a different perspective of this, but I was told for business book that uh, the majority of audiobook listeners listen to fiction. I think there's a stat that says like 85%. And so I was advised to necessarily not um, prioritize that versus getting the ebook and the print version out. So that's what I've done. There has been a lot of discussion about the audiobook. Do you have a perspective on that? Uh, yes, as a uh... A business, a busy business person with constantly changing priorities and uh, lots of clients to service and and prospects to see. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I I have very little time to read a business book. Uh, however, if you gave me a audio uh, business book uh, and it was a reasonable book, it would go into. In fact, I was at a meeting a Sandler meeting last week in Toronto, and one of the guys. Uh, suggested the book Conversational Intelligence. And I immediately went to uh, my audible.com, uh, found it was there, downloaded it, put it on my uh, my phone. And when I'm at the gym, when I was at the gym this week, I find myself listening to that book. And the beauty is I can listen to that book at 150 to 175% of normal speed. 
and get most of the content out of the book. Uh, for me and a lot of other sales and business professionals who listen in their car or listen uh, in the gym like I do, uh, it's, it's a wonderful way to get that book, re- book reading and get that new knowledge in without having to, uh, to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and, and carve out an hour to read, uh, and I'll be uh, much more productive. The only exception I'll give you to, the, to that, for, and this is just for me personally, is if your book has a lot of lists or Excel spreadsheets that you want me to read and understand, uh, they will fail in an audiobook format for me. And uh, then I have, I have to fall back to the paper book. Uh, Freakonomics was the, the first book that I discovered uh, failed in an audio format because of the, uh, the chapters that had a tremendous lists. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for me, uh, as a Sandler guy, a Sandler trainer, I, I'd strongly recommend making the book available in an audio format. Uh, what we did with the best-selling book uh, that Dave Batson, our CEO, wrote, uh, The 49 Sandler Rules, it was about a year after the original book came out. And the audio book actually has a chapter that doesn't exist in the paper copy. Mm-hmm. So uh, any of the questions that he got in the year after the book was published, that was addressed in the Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. Maybe I need to um, get this project uh, farther up my priority list now, given what you said. Yeah, I mean, your voice sounds just great. So I think uh, you'll sell a lot of copies of the book uh, in the uh, audio version. Uh, We're going to take a a short commercial break here. Hi, this is Mike Roth. Are you sick and tired of not earning what you're worth? Are you frustrated with long sales cycles and angry? when you have to negotiate away most of your profit or commission to get the deal, there is a better way. I want to invite you to join us on September 1st for a career-changing event. I'm bringing David Matson to the Kentucky Speedway for a special event, a Sales Leadership Summit. David will share 10 powerful ideas to take your sales organization to the next level. The event is designed to grow your sales by at least 30%. At Sandler Training by Strategic Sales Experts, we're tough, expensive, and not for everyone. For full details, check our website at strategic.sandler.com. Or if you know that you really want to attend or have questions, call me directly on my cell, 513-646-6523. I'm Brad Massey with Sandler Training. I'm talking to you about rule number 47, selling is a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. What does that mean? Selling is a Broadway play. It's about a performance. It's about sometimes having to do things differently than we're comfortable doing. It's about making changes. Sometimes I need to speak with enthusiasm and excitement. Sometimes I need to speak more subtly and articulately, and I need to explain things deeper. Um, Performance by a psychiatrist, what does psychiatry have to do with this rule? It means we have to have an understanding of human dynamic. Being a psychiatrist is about understanding human dynamic. It means we need to be able to manage the way we speak with people. Um, Be an objective participant to the event when we talk to people. 
keep our emotions under control. People to ask the appropriate questions in a manner that is not contingent on the outcome. In other words, sometimes if I really want to close business, I get emotionally involved and what the other person is telling me has too much impact on me. I just need to understand that there's a process in how we go about interacting with people. And if I can say the right things, if I can ask the right questions, then I don't get emotionally involved with this opportunity. And the right thing always happens, yes or no. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Mindy McKenzie. Uh, Mindy, if uh, one of our listeners wants to uh, talk to you about speaking at one of their uh, company meetings, how would they get in touch with you? They can absolutely go to my website, www.mindymckenzie.com, or drop me an email at info at mindymckenzie.com. And McKenzie spelled M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Good. Uh, in... Uh, in looking at your book, you, you come up with something, uh, a new set of words in the English language for me, or you put them together differently. A personal declaration. Can you explain to our users uh, exactly what a personal declaration is and, and how they should use it? Sure. So this is not original to me. I was fortunate enough to work with Doug Conant, who um, was the CEO at Campbell Soup Company. And he talked about declaring yourself. And at its essence, a personal declaration is sharing who you are, you come from, what you stand for and value, your strengths, your weaknesses, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of who you are, how you approach your leadership philosophy, and basically like anything else that will help accelerate trust in significant relationships at work. And when you share this, and I recommend that people do this early in relationship with their new boss or with new direct reports that come on or colleagues that they have to collaborate with frequently, it's fantastic because it basically cuts through a lot of noise and a lot of trial and error in the relationship. And the only way a personal declaration will not work is if your actions and behavior and what you do does not match up with what you declared and what you shared with the person. The other thing about this that's fantastic, share that, then you ask the person that you're sharing with to reciprocate. And it truly is an extraordinarily helpful technique. It takes vulnerability and it takes courage. It's not the most comfortable, and I've found that folks that are introverted tend to be, you know, kind of... uh, resist this because they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about myself and it's just about the job. But we get results people and having really solid relationships and really open relationships um, mm. really accelerates those business results, as you know. So mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like uh, what, what at Sandler we call a, a strong upfront contract, uh, an agreement between the people of how the relationship is going to move forward. Uh, for instance, when I start with a, a new prospect, I tell them, you know, I've got to be honest with you. Can you be honest with me? Uh, our conversations are totally private unless you disclose anything. Uh, commitment means doing what you said you were going to do, even after the spirit in which you said it is gone. Uh, that's how we do our, our business. Do you do it the same way? And uh, then we judge people and companies by the commitments they keep, not the ones they make. Uh, my question for you is, would you call that a, a personal declaration? I would call that um, incredibly important, and I would call that kind of rules of engagement of how we're going to interact. 
But a personal declaration has a bit of a different shift because what you're doing is really kind of dropping the mask of who you are and where you come from. So, for instance, that means sharing with somebody more personal details of, you know, where did you grow up? What type of family did you grow in, grow up into? What type of family are you part of now? Why do you come to work? What motivates you? You might share what you would be doing if money were no object. Like you're really trying to be revealing about who you are, not just as this professional, but as an entire integrated human being. And it, it, this is a, one thing that helped me um, fantastically in doing this. Um, I had a boss who reciprocated, and he was an incredibly complicated person to work for. And there were times when he would get on my last nerve, and the only thing that kept me sane was remembering that inside this very successful and charismatic and complicated person was a little boy whose father had abandoned him as a child. And it helped me have a broader, more humanistic, um, compassionate perspective when I dealt with him. And that's the kind of personal declaration I'm talking about. So it's both about how you work on the job, but who you are as a human being, it's that combination that is so powerful. And that's why it takes courage and vulnerability to have this type of conversation. Sure. That's, that, that's a very, an extremely strong bonding and rapport type of a conversation uh, that you're only going to reveal with someone that you, in quotation marks, trust, um, not perfect strangers. Uh, Correct. Uh, with technology being uh, so pervasive at home and at work, uh, how, to, how is it possible for people to maintain and advance their careers while uh, completely unplugging from time to time? Well, I'm a huge fan of taking worry-free unplugged vacations, and this gets a whole lot of airtime, Mike, because people are like, what? Like, how is it not possible to check your email and your voicemail um, when you're taking a break? And I'm a massive advocate for it. I think people are addicted to work these days. I think we tell ourselves a lot of lies about how indispensable we are, and I hear this from a lot of professional services executives that they could not possibly take time off and be disconnected from their clients and customers and the bottom line is that um, it is entirely possible to disconnect it is all in how you do it and I learned this when I lived in Australia and I got to this country after my whole career of like never taking more than a week um, off of work and never certainly being unplugged during that time and I get there and I'm watching CEOs and very senior people go off for two week holidays completely worry-free completely unplugged and I'm like what's going on here and yet these people highly successful great and would come back in and ease right in and they did three things and it was an incredible lesson for me and these three things really work and the first thing they did is they deputized someone credible in their absence to cover their area of work which the more senior you get um, gets very very important and they would communicate um, to their peers and colleagues and their boss about why they chose the person and everything. And the second thing they did is they communicated broadly to everyone that the person was their proxy and that they would live and die by the decisions this person made in their absence. So that's why they had to pick somebody credible. And then the third thing they did was they reinforced that they would be completely unplugged. And when I saw those things and I saw it in action at work when I came to, back to the United States, my first um, vacation, I scheduled a two-week summer vacation, and I decided I was going to do it the Aussie way, and I did those three things. Um, and my CEO, who I reported to, and my CFO colleague 
um, said to me when I got back after two blissed out weeks, I rocked up to the office and they're like, we can't believe it, Mindy, you actually did it. Like you didn't answer our emails or voicemails. And I had told them, listen, guys, my Blackberry, Blackberries at the time, was going in the safe and here's the emergency phone number. And I had deputized someone and communicated and all that. So the business was taken care of. My boss was taken care of. Everybody had the support they needed. I came back and they were like, you actually did it. And the best part of this was my boss didn't invite me to do it. No one around me doing it. Both of them said to me, though, the fact that I could do it and come back and it worked, it inspired them to try it themselves. So I talk a lot about this in the book and I talk a lot about this with the CEOs I advise and companies that I talk to because you cannot wait for the culture to change or your boss to invite you. You have to actually just be willing to step up and do it. And we all know the reasons why it's beneficial. That's not the issue. We just don't know how to do it. Yeah. I I had an accident happen like that uh, last week. I I knew I had this meeting coming up in Toronto uh, where I'd be in Canada for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm a Sunday. And uh, I didn't think about it until I crossed the border. And then I noticed a text message from Verizon saying that every text message was going to be billable and telephone minutes were going to be a dollar ninety nine a minute. And I said, man, that's 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 too expensive. So I just turned off my phone for four days until I. How did it the feel? Uh, at first, it was a little bit nerve wracking uh, on Thursday business day, uh, but after about an hour, I, I felt hey, relieved. I didn't have to check anything. Didn't have to check email didn't have to check text messages, didn't have to check voicemails, you know, uh, and the world didn't burn down while I was gone. So, uh, no, I think it, it, it was a, a really good accidental, uh, learning experience. I think that's fantastic. And imagine if you started deliberately giving yourself that gift and role modeling that for others, because the other thing for your listeners who are more senior, the issue is, is when we as executives and senior leaders don't role model this behavior. It does not matter what the slogans are, the policies are, the companies that we work. If we're not doing it, it makes it harder for others to do it. And I don't think that's right. And we don't get the most creative ideas and the most energy and the business suffers for everybody um, running in a, you know, at a, like a flat out fashion all the time and being depleted all the time. That's not the way um, to get the best out of people. So I say to CEO clients, I'm like, guys, Gals, listen, even Ferraris, high-performance machines, and your high-performance machines, even Ferraris need an oil change. Mm-hmm. Well, they, uh, I don't know about Ferrari. They just changed the Mercedes oil change to 10,000 miles. <laughs> I guess, they don't want to see me as much as a customer. Uh, but you, you did, you did course, force me to think about uh, a trip to Australia I took uh, the first time around uh, for three weeks, and there were, there were no cell phones and uh, no email. And it was very recharging for my career. Uh, even on a cruise ship, uh, you know, eight, eight, ten years ago, when it was very difficult to get uh, cell phone service on a cruise ship or internet email. So, yeah, it, 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 it is recharging not to have to be connected all the time. It makes a lot of sense. Um, we're going to take a uh, another short commercial break here. We're going to listen to a couple of uh, Sandler commercials. We'll be back in about uh, two minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. 
What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. Uh, Mindy, as a uh, single mother, you raised your son while climbing the corporate ladder. What's the uh, single greatest piece of advice you can give to other women in the same uh, type of position? Well, I'm definitely no expert. What I know um, as a parent it's the ultimate humbler, right, Mike? So, um, mm -hmm. which is why I think fantastic. Um, I would just say uh, to folks, whether they're single moms or just working parents, is to be a bit nicer to yourself and stop judging yourself. The guilt is so crushing, um, and the trade-offs that you're constantly making internally, where you're going to be and how you spend your time, it's really tough. And uh, I recently spoke to somebody who has just now become a single parent and they were just astonished and they were like, Mindy, how did you do it all those years? And I was like, well, I didn't have any other weight. And so you just work through it. I would say though, you have to get practical help on the home front to the degree that you're able. And I wouldn't have been able to make it without that. I call that having a uh, personal pit crew. I don't know about you, Mike, but every successful executive I know has a, a group of uh, short, a small group of advisors that mm -hmm. help them professionally and, um, navigate their life basically effectively. And so I call it having a personal pit crew, and I think all of us should have that. And part of that pit crew is not just about having trusted advisors on the professional side, but practical help on the home front so that you can spend your energy where it's best and then just let, let yourself off the hook because we're all doing the very best that we can, and we're all doing it very imperfectly, as I'm sure all of our children would tell us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there's a limit to the number of balls you can throw up in the air and actually be able to catch them all. Uh, That's right. So, uh, in, in your career in the uh, as a single mom, you you did have a uh, an at at home helper. Well, I never had like a nanny or anything. I couldn't afford that, and um, I was just scraping by for many, many years. But I did have um, someone who could pick my son up um, after school and work because with the way my career and job was is I, I couldn't get home at what would be deemed like a reasonable hour. A lot of times the sitter would pick um, my son up and then <laughs> drop him off at work. And when he was very little, he used to sit in my office and 
sit in his little chair or be his toys and I would work late in the night and, you know, I'd feed him and do whatever, but I, I logged a lot of hours and, um, and we just kind of made it work because it was just him and I. So I, I say be practical and do what you got to do, be flexible because to me it's all about how, it's about what you get done, not how you get done. And I think all the leaders out there who get so wound up about clocking in the hours and all of that, stop micromanaging people on how, establish what you want done, and let them figure it out. And that's a huge gift you can give to people. And Walmart was in place for me to work. They were incredibly supportive. And I worked my tail off. And the fact that, you know, um, I showed up with my baby every so often, I kid you not, um, Mm -hmm. into um, meetings, that was just, the way it was. I didn't have anywhere else to take him. And there were times that I got stuck and I was, I was blessed to work for a place that was about results and not about um, the details. And um, so now I can take my son anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you say in the book, uh, overwork is an addiction. Uh, could you tell our listeners what you meant by that? Yeah. I, I'm, I really feel passionately about this and addictions are definitely dependencies, as we all know, in the worst sense. But they're called addictions because there is an element of pleasure or of a payoff. And I think overworking is the exact same. A ton of people, when you talk to them, they'll say, oh, I feel overwhelmed, I'm tired, I'm depleted, and they feel out of control of their life. And yet they don't see that there's any other way to successfully operate in the business world, and I think there is. And in fact, and this is what I referenced earlier, that many of these folks use the excuse that they're too important, devoted to their customers to live any other way, or they blame the boss and the culture that they work in. And while some of that may be true, and it is, and I, I get that, I do think there's a darker side to this addiction to overwork. And it's about liking the control. We like the power. We don't want to give the, up the pleasure of that payoff of being needed or important or feeling indispensable to the team. And then we like to give ourselves a pat on the back, Mike, for our commitment, right? We're so committed that we're willing to make any and all sacrifices. And sa- these sacrifices are detrimental to our health and well-being, also to our families. So we know this in doing it, and I just I think there's a better way. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to change gears a little bit here, with Mindy. Uh, you say uh, in the book, uh, everyone needs a shtick and, and how to make yours authentic and positive. Tell our audience what you meant by that. Yeah, so I'm a big believer in this, and I get a lot of flack for this one chapter. It's very provocative. And I am all about substance, character, substance, competence. But I also believe it's a time for style and form. And there are many people in their career who are not mindful of their shtick and they're not mindful of their impact. And I actually believe you need to be. And that includes the superficial elements of how you look, how you dress, how you present yourself um, so that you have a greater impact and that your brilliant substantive ideas can be heard. And whether you like that or not, I think it is absolutely true. There's some stat that I have come across that says in seven seconds, basically, as human beings, we make judgments, and it really doesn't matter all the seven seconds, but those first impressions really matter. So this isn't new news, but what is is this concept of taking ownership and accountability for your own shtick. And for me, I tell this story in the book, it was absolutely painful. Uh, I had an aside and pull me into the office and say, Mindy, um, basically, you've got the ability and you've got the talent to make it all the way, but you don't look like it. You dress terrible, 
and um, you got to get your act together. And I remember sitting in the office, this person is telling me that, and and I was like, oh, and you know what I said? I go, well, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just waiting to lose the baby weight. And this person said, Mindy, Noah, three, he's not a baby. There are plenty of fat executives in the world, but it doesn't mean you don't have to look professional. And, like, I was dying inside when this conversation happened. I was just like, ooh. And, but I looked down at what I was wearing, and the person I was sitting across from was, like, looking at me. And I just, I had these terrible, ugly gray slacks on, awful, this ugly sweater set. And I went home that night and just cried, 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 bitter tears. And then I sat there and I thought, I do look terrible. And if this is going to be the thing that gets in the way, I do have ambition. I do want to have a greater impact. i got to get my act together. And so I hired a consultant, set a budget. I didn't have a lot of money. And they went through my, you know, closet and analyzed the work environment I was in. And they said, listen, you need a uniform and you need to play up your strengths. And I made some investment and some great, beautiful dresses and learned some things and learned what looked good on me. And, Mike, I'm telling you, and this sounds crazy and superficial, but once I started doing that, it actually helped me. I ended up losing all the weight because I felt more confident and good. But I also began to dress to um, match the substance and work, hard work that I was bringing to the table. So it was a painful lesson, but absolutely great, great gift that that executive gave me. positive effect on your career? I think so, because how you present yourself and credibility that you inspire makes a huge difference in order for you to be heard and for your views to be valued. People aren't going to promote somebody that they don't have confidence in and that doesn't exude credibility. And part of that, whether we like it or not, is what I call form plus substance. It matters. And I know that, you know, kind of the rules are different to industry and all of that. But I say be really smart and thoughtful. Um, be appropriate, fit in, but, you know, be a little, I say to women, be feminine. Don't try to dress like the guys. And I tell guys, like, I advise them, stop with the boring khakis and stuff. I had a client that worked in marketing, and he kept getting over, passed over for roles. I called him Mr. Beige. I'm like, dude, you need a shtick. You've got to make an impact. You're an introvert. You're super smart. you got a track record of results, but you keep getting passed over for um, promotions. What's the deal? Let's talk about your impact and the impression that you're creating. So it's much as we don't like to talk about this stuff um, and it feels kind of unfair, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And San Luis Sales is a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist and uh, your costume in the play does count, the props count. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Uh, we have people in the construction industry selling the same products in uh, West Virginia and in Ohio. In West Virginia, they have to wear a beard to be like their buyers in Ohio, wearing a beard is a bad idea uh, because people buy from people like themselves who have to fit into the play. Uh, there are a lot of people who are uh, timid in business or don't want to rock the boat. Uh, how do you suggest people uh, conquer their fears? So I'd say one um, choice at a time, Mike. You have to decide what you want to be different. If you're having trouble with your boss, you got to decide that you're going to lead your boss and engage with your boss in a different way. you got to pick your spot. And you've got to own the fact that the only thing you can reliably change or control at any company is yourself. 
no matter what. And when you do that and then you're willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, what could I be doing differently, then you can kind of surgically choose how you want to behave differently. And just that act of accepting that truth, being willing to look in the mirror and tell your own self the truth, it changes your own energy and it changes the impact you have on others. That's great. That's great. And yeah, I want to uh, thank you for being on the show here with us today at Cincinnati Business Talk. Uh, and again, if someone wants to contact you, uh, why don't you give them your, uh, your email address again? Sure. It's info at mindymckenzie.com. And Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.